0: John chapter 14. I'm going to be reading this morning from verses 1 through 6. These are the words of our Savior. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Please tune our hearts to your word this morning. Any distractions that may have come in here with us, that we've carried with us, things that are on our minds, things that are on our phones, I pray, God, that you would turn all of that off. And direct our attention to the words of the Lord Jesus that we might receive the comfort that he has for us here. So please bless us this morning, Lord, to take comfort from him. Please change us, make us more like him. Please give us a heavenly hope this morning. A lot of cares, a lot of concerns, a lot of disappointments in this room, but I pray that we will find comfort from Jesus, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Some of the songs that we were singing about this morning had to do with problems that people are facing, storms that are in their lives, and I wonder this morning how many of you have come in here with troubles, troubles on your mind. I have to imagine that several of the people who are here this morning come in here with a troubled heart. And in John 14, Jesus' disciples, they have troubled hearts. And we need to understand that Jesus has something to say this morning to those who he loves. He says to them right here in verse 1 says to us, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. But before we get to the disciples' hearts, and before we get to our own hearts, I want to direct you to the heart of Jesus. I want you to think about when he says these words, and really how amazing it is that he has focused on his disciples. Think about what he is about to go through. He says these words on the night before his own crucifixion. He knows what is about to happen to himself. There is tremendous spiritual warfare that is taking place that really only he is aware of. The previous chapter tells us that he is troubled in his own spirit because of the betrayal that is about to happen to him. He knows that Peter is going to deny him, his countrymen are about to treat him hatefully, turn him over to the Roman authorities. The weight of the world is going to be placed upon his shoulders there at the cross, and in that moment, the father that he has always enjoyed fellowship with, deep communion with, that father is going to turn his face away from him. Jesus knows all of this, and yet, at this moment, he is concerned about the hearts of his disciples. And he wants to comfort them. I have a tendency to default to the belief that when I fail, that God can be callous toward me. Or can be hard and cold toward me. Does anybody else have that that tendency? But that's only because... I can be callous toward others and be hard toward them when they fail. It's as if I recreate God in my own image and start to believe that he is like me. Rather than to allow God to define himself, what his own heart is like toward those who fail. And we see that here as Jesus speaks into the lives of his disciples. Because what is about to happen? He knows it. They've shown themselves already up to this point to be slow to get it again and again and again. Jesus teaches them, and yet they do not understand. They've acted out in selfishness time and time again. And they are about to abandon Jesus in his greatest trial. And if Jesus was really like me, in this moment, he would express great aggravation and disappointment toward them. But that's not what we see. Instead, what we see is him telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. So brothers and sisters, this is your Savior. This is your God speaking to you in his word that He cares for you in your weakness. He cares for you in your failures. And he cares for you in your sins. He cares for you. And if Jesus was willing to bring comfort into the lives of his disciples at this point in time, when everything is about to fall apart... Do you not think that his desire this morning is to bring comfort to you as he sits in glory in heaven? Absolutely, he does. And so this word is for you this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Your Savior is speaking to you. And so my aim this morning... As we look at this text together is that the words of Jesus would become personal. Spoken to individual hearts where you will hear those words, let not your hearts be troubled, and you'll think, I do have troubles. There are things that are on my heart. There are things that have my attention. So much that concerns me, so much that distracts me, that drags my mind into another place, and I begin to doubt I begin to be anxious, I start to act out of my sin rather than out of faith, I've got troubles and I've got a Savior who says to me that I don't need to be troubled. He's got a word for me this morning. That's what I want to have happen as we look at God's word. So why is it exactly that the disciples are troubled at this point in time? Where does this land in the bigger picture of what is happening in this story? If you know anything about John 13 through 16, that this is what we would call the the, the, the going away discourse, the upper room discourse, the final farewell of sorts of Jesus as he teaches his disciples the last things that he wants them to know before he goes away. And he says some hard things to them. He's already told them that he's going to go away but they don't know where. The authorities have already up to this point been trying to kill Jesus, so danger has always been lurking around the corner for them, and that's pretty stressful, isn't it? He told them over dinner that one of them would betray him, but he did not tell them which person it would be. He just told Peter that he's going to deny him three times, and Peter's known to be the strongest one. And if he's going to do this, what does that say about me? All of this is terrible news in the middle of hard circumstances. These men right here have left everything behind to follow Jesus for three years. And up to this point... He has shown himself to be greater than every circumstance that they have faced, and now the rug is about to be pulled out from underneath them, and Jesus tells them, I'm going to go away without you. So yes, their hearts are troubled. What about you? Why are you troubled? What is it that stirs the hearts of Jesus' disciples today? I did some painting this week, and I pulled out one of those old gallon buckets that hadn't been stirred up in a while, and I got one of those sticks and began to mix it around, and all that old paint started mixing together. You could say that I agitated the contents of that bucket. That's what was needed. This word trouble right here has that meaning. It has the meaning of stirring up or agitating. And so the stuff of life inserts itself into our hearts and it stirs us up. And so what is it that stirs up or agitates your own heart? What has it agitated right now? What are you thinking on? frustrating concerning that keeps you up at night something that just won't go away or you don't know how to deal with it what is agitating you causing anxiety or fear or concerns about the future confusion sadness what does Jesus want to say to you this morning to comfort you as he did his disciples so long ago right before he had to go away Well, I've got six comforts from this text this morning for troubled hearts from the mouth of Jesus. And again, I hope that when you leave here today, that your heart will be comforted, not troubled. Number one, help is here. Help is here. Right after Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, he says to them, believe in God, believe also in me. He's making a pretty extraordinary statement to these first disciples when they hear him. Because he knows that when they have troubles, who is it that they turn to? They turn to God. God's power, we pray that his power breaks into our lives and heals and comforts and transforms us, delivers us from our problems. But... Because we cannot see God, He often feels very distant to us. It's as if my request, they have to travel over mountains and around streams and through valleys and oceans just to get to Him. At times it may seem like like when I send a package to the other side of the world and I don't know if it even got there. He seems so far away at times. But Jesus is proof that God is close. He certainly is right here, is he not? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying, God in the flesh right here with you to give you help in times of need. That God desires to be with his people. He delights to be near to us. He does not want to be distant. He wants you to know that he is close to you. And it is true that Jesus is about to physically leave these men, but just a few verses down, he gives this same phrase again and tells them that when he leaves, that he is going to send his spirit, the helper, to be with them always. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, And there's that phrase again, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so, even when you cannot see proof of God's presence, Jesus wants you to know this morning that help is here and that help is near. I have to imagine that some of you all here this morning feel alone. You're alone. But Jesus wants you to understand that those who believe, trust in him, that they are most certainly not alone, that he is here with you. His helper is here with you. He was physically present with his disciples on that day, which is an amazing thing. God right there in front of them. And they still didn't know exactly what they were looking at. But he says, when I go away, my helper will come and I will still be with you. And that's what his church needs to hear this morning, that Jesus is here with us. That Jesus really is present in his spirit this morning with his people as we open up his word. He is still speaking to us today. He is close and he is able to give us his own comfort, his own peace. He speaks peace. To his disciples. So, brothers and sisters, let not your hearts be troubled. His peace he has left with us. That's number one. Help is here. Number two, though Jesus is away, he still ministers to your need. He continues to serve, he continues to give. He continues to do things on our behalf, even though we cannot see him. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And so these men are here and they think that they're about to be abandoned. But Jesus makes it clear that while he is gone, he will still be serving them from where he is. And yes, he is going away to a far country in a sense, a good country. But while he's there, he will be getting a place ready for them. The disciples need to know that Jesus remembers them. How many of you all have ever been forgotten before? By somebody that you love. Somebody near to your heart. Somebody that you care about and you're not on their minds anymore. At least it seems that way. I think disciples can get this way too. We start to think that Jesus has forgotten us. He's gone, he's away. We're never on his mind, but this word right here tells us that that is not so. That while he is gone, he has gone to prepare a place for us, we are on his minds. He's not away on a business trip or on a vacation. These disciples need to hear, and so do we, that we are still his business. He's all about us. And he's going back to his father's house A very big house, spacious house, and while he is there, Jesus will be making things ready for those that he loves. And so, troubled hearts here this morning need to know that Jesus is still in heaven serving those that he loves. He's serving you. He didn't just finish his work, go home, put his feet up, and forget all about us. Now the book of Hebrews tells us that he always lives to make intercession for us. So he always works for us continually. We're on his mind, and we have the most powerful man in the world on our side. And we might forget him, but Jesus does not forget us. Number three, Jesus will return to bring us home. Himself. So he says there that if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to imagine a family that buys a home in a different state. And the father, he leaves his wife and children behind to go and get that house fixed up and ready for them all to move in together. And so everything that he does while he is gone is aimed at bringing them all underneath that same roof someday. He's working, he's preparing, he's getting that place ready for them to move in. They are constantly on his mind while he is away, all so that he can go and get them and bring them back to the place that he is working on. So everything that father does while he is gone is for his family. And he cannot wait until he's able to bring them back to this wonderful place that is prepared for them. To think that that dad who left and is working on that house, that he's not going to return would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That he's not going to come back? We need to understand this about our Savior too. It will seem to us to be a myth of sorts that Jesus will return and the world that we're currently living in right now, that we're breathing air in, we watch the seasons change and the leaves begin to drop. We start, sometimes we can think that this world will always be just as it is. And these things that we read about here in God's word, that these things are just like fairy tales. It might seem like that. But we need to understand that there will come a day when this world, as it currently is, will be no more. And there will be a day when that preparation will be complete, that Jesus will have called his last sheep to himself, and he's coming back to get them all. That day will come. And he'll re-enter this world to get his family to bring them all underneath one roof in the Father's house. And on top of that, there will come a day, I have to imagine, someday eons from now maybe, when we will barely remember a time when we did not live in that house. That is hard to imagine, isn't it? And that happens right now in the world that we live in, does it not? I've lived in my house for about 10 years, and I cannot even really remember what it's like to live in a different house before that. Now, I've got a bad memory, but still, it's really all that I can remember. Seems like somebody else that lived in a previous place. Does not seem like me or my family. And so there will come a day when we have lived in the Father's house for so long and maybe there will just be traces of us remembering what it was like to live in the previous world. Maybe our minds will be so clear then we will remember it well. I don't know for sure. I'm just trying to draw an analogy here. But that there will be a time when we have lived there so long. What a wonderful thing. And if you can keep this truth in front of you, That Jesus will return for his people, and that is a certainty. It will help when your heart gets troubled. This is one of the first truths that'll drop off when we become anxious or upset in life. We need to remember that the day will come when our Savior is going to return and he's going to roll this whole world up like a scroll. And he's going to take you somewhere where hearts will never be troubled again. Number four. While he is away, Jesus is preparing us for the place. We need to realize that the primary work that is being done while he is gone is not on heaven. It is on us. And so when Jesus gave this Analogy about going away and bringing us back to the Father's house and he's preparing a place for us. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like. He very well could be making things with you in mind, rearranging some things just the way that Kenny likes it, whatever that is, Kenny, right? Just the way he likes it. I don't know. The main thing that Jesus is doing, though, while he is away is not making improvements to heaven as if it needs improving. Heaven is perfect. It has always been perfect. Nothing need be done to bring you there. It is not not dull and drab and need a new paint job or some wallpaper up. It does not need remodeling for you to move in. It is already perfect. But guess what is not? Me. Me. So the primary work that Jesus is doing right now is preparing me for the place, not the place for me. And it started with what he would do on the following day, just after this conversation happened with his disciples when he went to the cross. He started that work, preparing the people for the place then. He went to die for our sins. There was a major barrier, keeping mankind out of the Father's house. Sin was there. We could not enter. Nothing unholy or unclean will tread there, not even darken the door. So Jesus had to prepare us to enter the place. So he went and died. And our sin was nailed onto Jesus at the cross, and our guilt was nailed there too. And so Jesus says here, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And we understand that with God, all things are possible. And when we believe in Jesus, it becomes possible to be forgiven when it was impossible before. We were not fit for heaven, but Jesus has made us fit through what he has done. And he continues to do a work inside of us, preparing us for that place. And so much of what troubles us today, much of what troubles our hearts are not external things. We think that they are. We complain a lot about our circumstances. We complain a lot about the people who bother us, let us down, cause us problems, but often what is happening is that those circumstances are actually what reveal our deeper troubles. It's that we sinfully respond to our circumstances. We sinfully respond to those people who bother us. We become bitter. And we stew in it. We give in to fear and anxiety, and we can't go to sleep at night. It's our response to those things that Jesus is working on. He does not guarantee us that He will change our circumstances, but so often, is that not what we pray for? God, take that away from me. And at that time, what Jesus is actually doing is using that very thing to make us more holy and fit for heaven. We think to ourselves, and we often say to ourselves and other people, if only that were different, then all would be well. So God changed it. And instead, what is God doing? He's changing me. And he's using those things to show me what my heart is like so that I will respond in repentance and faith and be transformed. And so though my circumstances may not change, I will in the midst of my circumstances. If you have a deep splinter, maybe you've done this before, one of the ways that you can expose that splinter and pull it to the surface is with Epsom salt. You soak it in there and. Hopefully you draw it up to where you can eventually pluck it out. I think something like that is going on in our lives. That the stuff of life serves as Epsom salt. To expose our sin and bring it to the surface so that we will bring it to Jesus. And he will dig it out and make us new. But so often we don't recognize that. We just, again, ask for the circumstances to change. And Jesus brings something new into our life that he intends on convicting us of our sins and transforming us, and yet we just don't see it. We don't see the sin inside of us. We see it out there in everybody else. Change them, Lord. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm I'm changing you. So he is preparing us for the place. And so I would ask you this morning before we just move on to point number five, because this is pretty important. I think most of us fail in this regard. We're not very good at seeing our own sin. So is there something happening in your life right now that ruffles your feathers, stirs the bucket of your heart up? that Jesus intends to show you your sinful response that time and time again that you are not seeing. You refuse to see it. It's always them. You're always a victim. They're always the problem. It's never about me. I'm always treated unjustly. And Jesus is trying to show you, man, you've got a lot of sin in there. You see a lot of people's problems, but you don't see you. I'm exposing you, and I'm asking you to repent. But aren't we slow learners? And yet, I do believe that Jesus looks at us and says, there in verse 1 again, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm trying to show it to you again. I am preparing the place for you, sure, but I'm really preparing you for the place. Will you see it? He's making us more fit for heaven. He's making us more fit for the kingdom. The circumstances that we face down here, they really do have purpose. There's purpose in everything that we experience. We have so much to learn, and Jesus is a master teacher. Look at your life. See what is happening in your circumstances. And ask God to show you your sin so that you can be convicted, repent, and change. Number five, Jesus has left a map for the lost. He's left a map for those who are lost or those who get lost again. And we do get lost. He's about to leave these men and he tells them, You know the way to where I'm going. And they're really confused. If you have your Bibles open, look up a few verses or just above a few verses at the end of chapter 13, verses 36 and 37. Listen to what the the, um, interchange is like here. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. So you can't come with me, but you're gonna come later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. So there's a confusing conversation going on, at least in the hearts of the disciples. Jesus is telling them that they will come later on, but they're like, we don't even know where you're going. How can we get to where you're going if we don't know the destination? And so Thomas here, in our passage, he just speaks for everybody else He brings the problem to light. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Just tell us where you're going. Google Maps can't give directions from your current location to an unknown destination. It just does not compute. And so something is not computing in the minds of these disciples. They don't know how to get there. So Jesus tells them the destination And he tells them the directions. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's not only the destination, the place to where we are going, because he's in the Father's house. That's where he is. He is also the path to get there. And God's desire is that you would be with him. He wants you with him. And that is truly the story of the Bible from beginning to end, that mankind was created to be with the Father. That's what his desire is for you to be. Sin broke that fellowship, broke that relationship, but Jesus came to heal that, and heaven will be the garden city where God and man will dwell together forever after Jesus heals all that is broken. And so because Jesus has done this with his own blood, he is the way into the abode of God. He is the path in. He brings us on the inside. When we were outsiders, outcasts before, he invites us in through him by what he has done. And if you still have your sins, you cannot come in. They must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so he says to us that he is the way, the way. No one comes except through him. This is very exclusive. There's only one way to have your sins healed for you to be cleansed and forgiven. It is through Christ. There are a lot of other religions that claim to have access to the Father. And you might hear some of them say that there are many ways up the same mountain. There's a false prophet that's been saying that for years, and her name is Oprah. Again and again and again, she says this very thing. Many ways up, just the one mountain. She is false. Those are lies. They oppose the words of Jesus Christ that only, the only way to the Father is through what he has done. Sin has to be killed, and he is the sin killer. This is truth, and this is life. All other ways are lies and death. He is the one who came down from heaven from the Father to open up the way back for those who have no hope, those whose hearts are troubled. There is not one person who is too broken. Not one person who is too bad. And maybe you think that about yourself or maybe about somebody else that you know, like, oh my goodness, the things that they have done, the things that I have done. We need to understand that nobody is truly hopeless, that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover any evil. If sinners will just look to him as the way, the truth, and the life. He promises to be that for you. And so maybe you come in here this morning with a troubled heart. You are distant from God. You're curious. You're interested. You've been drawn at least into this place. You need to hear these words of Jesus. He says that he is the way for you. You want to get to the Father? You want to know the way into the heart of God? It comes through his Son and only through his Son. There's one last comfort here, somewhat veiled in these verses, that I want you to take comfort from. There is a future state of joy that God is telling us here that He delights to give to us. And it remains something of a mystery. But the fact that Jesus tells us about it should provide comfort for troubled souls. And I am talking about heaven. Heaven's a word that gets used a lot. Heaven's a word that I talk about a lot. There is no subject that my kids are more interested in than heaven. They have so many questions, and I have so few answers. It's because so much of it truly is mysterious. And when I call it a mystery, I simply mean that it's something that's hidden from view. You just can't see it all. Kind of like Jesus in the Old Testament. He was somewhat hidden. He was there the entire time. We just couldn't see it clearly until he opens up our minds and our eyes to see it. I think heaven is the same way. A lot of it is veiled until we get there. And Jesus refers to this place in in multiple ways in these verses, but most explicitly he says, it's my Father's house. So when he says that he's the way to the Father, Jesus is making it clear here that where the Father is, is heaven. And all of his work has been done to bring us to that place, to the Father, to give us access to this mysterious place of joy. And so the troubles of this world outside of you and the troubles of this world that are inside of you are all just preparatory and small in comparison to the joy that God desires to give you in that place called heaven when we get there. And I know that it does not feel that way right now. Does it? Does it to you? Does it feel like your troubles are small? I doubt it. I have to imagine that your troubles feel very weighty right now. But God's Word tells us that that is true, whether we feel it or not, that the weight of joy and glory that God desires to give you in that place will make your troubles right now seem minuscule tiny. I have to imagine that on the eve of that day, just imagine like God knows Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And he's excited. If you've got children and You wanted to give them some gifts on Christmas morning. There is an anticipation, not just in the hearts of those children, but in the hearts of those parents. They cannot wait to see the faces that their kids make, the joy that is in them when they come into that room that next day. I have to imagine that on the eve of when Jesus returns, that God's heart will be like that times a million Because he cannot wait to give us what he has had prepared for us since before the world began. What Jesus had always experienced in communion with the Father, that overflowing joy and love that he has, God is about to dump that out on us. And man, he can't wait. And who's going to get glory on that day? Who receives the glory and the honor and the praise for that? The son. Because he has bought us, cleansed us, prepared us. He's coming back to get us so that we can all enjoy those pleasures at God's right hand as sons and daughters. We will get to share in what he has always had. And he can't wait. And he is not a selfish son. He is not a jealous son. He can't wait to give you what he has. And so brothers and sisters, Christmas is coming for real. Christ is going to return to bring us to that place with him, to the Father. He says that he is the way. I hope That there's at least a glimpse of faith clawing at that somewhere here in God's Word and holding on to it. Heaven is going to be a place where no trouble exists. Do you want that? Jesus is here to tell us this morning in His Word that we are not to have troubled hearts, but comforted hearts, because one day everything will be healed. But there's purpose for everything that you're experiencing here, but everything will be healed when we are with him in the Father's house. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that your son Jesus has come to be the way, the truth, and the life into the glories of heaven, things that we just can't quite see but we know that it's going to be wonderful. There will not be anybody in heaven who is disappointed, pouting, pacing the floor, thinking I thought it was gonna be a lot better than this. Not one person. We will be filled to overflowing with joy and Jesus has come to this earth to give us that. Please give us hearts, Lord Jesus, that anticipate your return. Not simply to remove us from pain, but to give us joy and to bring glory and honor and praise to your name. We will rejoice in the opportunity of doing that forever. We will not offer up praise grudgingly on that day. We will not need to be dragged into church We will not be looking at our watches on that day, anticipating what comes next. We will be filled all the way up. Lord, we look forward to that day. And I pray that the people in this room do not have troubled hearts, but comfort and peace that you bring. And we ask it in your holy, perfect name. Amen.